Nice to be back sharing God's Word with you. I'm just guest speaking today. I am still on sabbatical. I will not be back till January after this, so it's my one time to uh, share with you God's Word, and it really is a privilege. And um, spending some time away from the pulpit reminds me, just for me personally, how much uh, sharing God's word is part of my own spiritual life and how it has been a way for God to work in me and shape me. And so um, sometimes I think we doing it regularly without pause uh, makes me take it for granted, and I really do deeply appreciate the opportunity to share God's word with you. I want to just ask you before we pray to think about your prayer life and to ask yourself, Am I content with my prayer life? Am I satisfied? Is my prayer life as fulfilling as the Word of God tells me it ought to be? Because if my guess is correct, if you're anything like me, then I think there's something inside of you, rather it's guilt or longing, that says my prayer life is not exactly the way that the Bible tells me it should be, and that I wish I had a more vibrant prayer life. One of the things that I'm doing during the sabbatical is trying to regain a sense of balance in my life. And um, I just want to share with you personally, for me, you know, as a pastor, I think it would be fair for you to assume that I should have a vibrant prayer life. Amen to that, right? I mean, yes, my pastor should have a vibrant prayer life. But if I were to be honest with you, I've always, uh, prayer has for me feast or famine in my life. I have gone through seasons of my life where prayer was, without exaggerating or hyperbole, where prayer was really literally the most important thing in my life, where I look forward to prayer more than anything else. My kids are probably thinking that was before Dad had us, I guess, because we don't really see that side of Dad too much. And there were seasons where I, I prayed fervently, and, and prayer was just sweet as honey. But it, isn't, it hasn't always been so in my life. There have also been seasons of dryness in prayer, where I prayed, I mean, we continually pray, but prayer isn't as powerful or, or as vibrant and as life-giving as it ought to be. And one of the reasons for taking the sabbatical that I'm taking right now is for me to rebuild a sense of that life-giving prayer in my own life and to build it on the right foundations. And so this morning, I want to share with you a little bit about prayer, looking at a verse that that for me growing up, Within my, with my family, this passage was a life verse for my family. I shared this with you before because I, I heard myself giving the same message four years ago, and this is sort of the genesis of me doing this message again. And I shared this with you back then. When our family immigrated to America, we came with the proverbial shirt on our backs and the bags in our hands, and this verse my father carried with him. This was a life verse which we came to America with. And so... This verse has been so central to my faith formation, to my development as a Christian. And I go back to it to find a foundation for prayer that is rich. 
because you will find throughout the Bible no other passage as open and as inviting and as encouraging as this invitation to pray that Jesus gives us. No conditions attached. He simply says, ask. He simply says, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. It's an invitation. And so I want us to build or think about our prayer life from this passage, this wonderful passage, this wonderful invitations that Jesus gives us to prayer. So with that in mind, let's bow our heads and ask God to bless us through the preaching of his word. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you yearning for a prayer life that gives us what you want to give us. For so long we struggle with prayer as a religious duty. For so long we struggle with prayer because we don't feel the need for you in our life. But Father, there, there's a heart behind this passage. There's a God who loves us and is so yearning to give us good gifts. And sometimes we miss that. And that's the foundation, O oh God, that we as a church want to build our prayers upon. The God who loves us and who yearns and longs to give us good things. So may our prayer life be rejuvenated and revived to the hearing of your message today. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Imagine for a moment, and then this is an illustration I just want to paint. Imagine for a moment that you were the recipient of a multi-million dollar grant that some, that through, uh, rather it be the government or some charitable organization selected you to head up a new project. They're going to give you millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars for you to develop the most delicious and healthy meal plan that you can come up with where resources is not uh, a factor, where money is not a factor. So after you get this grant, you go and find the best chefs in the world, the best, best nutritionists in the world, and you get connected to the most fresh, highest quality food vendors in the world, and you begin to prepare the most delicious and most healthy meals that you can imagine. And as part of that grant, you are given the privilege of inviting 10 or 15 people to try out this meal plan. And all you have to do for the people who are participating, the people you are inviting to try out this project, all they have to do is make a simple phone call in the morning. Just dial this 800 toll-free number every morning, give them your ID number, and kind of tell them what kind of food you're partial to. And all you do is you do that every morning. It takes less than a minute or two. And, and, and when you do that, this project, this company, will bring to you a professionally prepared, hot, fresh meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for you and your family. And so you being in charge of this project, you're excited to invite not just random people, but you want your friends and family to try it out. So you come and you tell your brother and sister, your favorite coworker and your friend, hey, we're part of this new project. 
Just call this number every morning for the next year, and they will bring you the healthiest, most delicious food, freshly prepared by world-class chefs, perfectly nutritionally balanced, and they will bring it to wherever you want it to. They will deliver it to you three times a day. And all you have to do is make that phone call. And a month goes by, and as you're sort of auditing your own progress of the project, you get, you get sort of the update on how the project is going. And you notice, out of all the people that you invited, no one is participating. No one is receiving this wonderful benefit. And you call them up and say, Say, Esther, why, why, I, I gave you this wonderful opportunity. Why aren't you calling? It's, oh, you know, I, I just get so busy in the morning. You know, I got, I got to get the kids ready. I got to get to work. I just, I just forget to call, so I'm sorry. I just haven't been able to really participate. And then you call and you say, hey, listen, why, why aren't you benefiting from this wonderful benefit? So it's, well, you know, um, we really have this set routine in our family of breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and Everything is kind of going fine, and we really don't want to disrupt that. And then you call again and say, Josh, well, why? this is wonderful benefit. I, I called you guys specifically so that you can benefit from this. And Josh goes, you know, I don't really believe you. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Josh. Um, I'm taking on him. Uh, I don't really believe this pro- program exists, and I think this is just a way to calm me into buying something long-term, so that's why I'm not, I'm not really calling And if you hear these excuses, how would you feel? Excuse after excuse, when all you want to give them is something amazingly wonderful, would you be frustrated, disappointed, angry, right? Would you you implore them to make that call and get all this good benefit from just making a call? Well, it's a silly illustration. Let me ask you hypothetically, because there's no such program exists, and I'm not soliciting your input on this, but hypothetically, if someone did offer you something like that, and actually, let's say this program exists and it offered to you, would you make the call in the morning? Raise your hands. How many of you, Josh is not raising his hands, see, he's, he's mad. How many of you would not participate, would not make that call? I think all of us, <laughs> yes, the two people I, I assumed, Most of us, I won't say all, most of us would do it. It's a wonderful benefit. But here's the thing. You know where I'm going with this, right? You know, God offers us so much more than simply fresh, healthy, cooked meals. He offers us so much more at our disposal if we would simply come to him in prayer. And yet we find so many, we make so many excuses not to go to God in prayer. Jesus is inviting us to ask, seek, and knock. Not so that we can get healthily prepared meals, but so that we can have life, abundant life. Jesus tells us that for those of us who will follow Jesus, This is a description of the life that he says you ought to have if you choose to follow me. You ought to have rivers of life flowing from you. You ought to have abundant life. You ought to have joy overflowing from you. And yet so many of us, that's not the life that describes us. We don't experience what Jesus tells us should be ours. 
And largely that's because we don't go to God in prayer. Prayer is God's invitation to come to him to feast at his banquet table. It is God's invitations to come and feast upon the goodness of God himself. Prayer is, once again, is not a religious duty. Just as if I invited you to come to my house and enjoy a wonderful meal and you didn't come, come, you know, I, I wouldn't want you to invite you as a duty. It's, it's your duty, James, as my friend, when I invite you to come. And, you know, James is thinking like, I don't want to go. I've been there before. I, I've eaten all his cooking. He has a limited menu repertoire. I tried it all. There's nothing new. I don't want to go. But I feel I got to go because it's a duty. No, it doesn't work that way, right? We go out of joy. And, and God invites us to come and feast at his, at his banquet table, to feast upon his goodness. And so many of us, we grow up thinking of prayer as a religious duty that we must do to appease God. So even in knowing all this about prayer, and, and I've just said something that is nothing uh, revolutionary. It's, it's not something that you haven't heard before. It's something that all of us know if we've been going to church for a while. But even knowing all of this, we still struggle with prayer. We still struggle praying when we know that prayer is a way to have God's abundant life in our life. We struggle. Prayer is one of the greatest privileges given to us as children of God. And yet, we struggle to make room for prayer in our life, to follow through on our desire to pray, to reconcile the desire and the action of praying. Let me read you, and we want to explore some of the reasons why we don't pray. Actually, you know, let's take a moment. Um, If you have a vibrant prayer life, the perfect prayer life, such a good prayer life as a Christian that you feel like this message does not apply to you, I give you honest, you can just, you know, tune out and not participate. But if you're struggling with your prayer life, if, you, if your prayer life isn't what you deep inside want it to be, I want you to just think for a moment, okay? If you have something to write on, go ahead and write it. Write down one or two biggest reasons why you don't think you pray as much as you you actually feel like you should or you want to. Why is it that we don't pray as much as we want to pray? Okay, think about that for a moment. And write down your top reasons, you know. I'm, I'm too busy. Um, I just don't feel the need for prayer. Or, you know, I prayed before and God didn't answer. I mean, whatever the reason, think about it from your life. Why is it that you don't pray as much as you want to pray? As you think about that, I want to read you a quote from a a famous pastor and scholar about sort of his uh, diagnosis of why people don't pray as much as they ought to pray or want to pray. And this is a quote. He says, We do not live in a praying age. We live in an age of hustle and bustle, of human efforts and human determination of humanity's confidence in himself and in his own power to achieve things 
an age of human organization and human machinery and human push and human scheming and human achievement, which in the things of God means no real achievement at all. He begins that quote, we do not live in a praying age. We live in an age of hustle and bustle, of human efforts and human determination. How many of you, when you hear that quote, says that describes our world right now? Right? You know what's amazing about that quote? You know why I love that quote? Because it was written by R.A. Torrey about 100 years ago in his wonderful book, um, How to Pray. 100 years ago. What did they have 100 years ago? They didn't have the internet. They didn't have TV. They didn't have fantasy sports to consume their times with. I mean, you think about it, 100 years ago, they didn't have jets. I'm, really, I don't know what they had 100 years ago. It's not a rhetorical question. I really, they didn't have much compared to what we have today. And so when we hear a quote like that, we will say, wow, that describes our generation. But 100 years ago, Ari Tori of his own generation, of his own time, says that. Which tells me then that it's not circumstances. It's not something outside of us that makes us not pray. It's something within us, something in our human nature that makes us not pray. Do you guys follow me what I'm saying? If the circumstances 100 years ago, Ari Tori says, it says there's something in our air that makes us not pray, and 100 years later the world has changed, literally changed, and yet we still feel the same tension, the same pull away from prayer, then it's, then it's likely that something within us that struggles with prayer, right? And that something within us that struggles with prayer is a sense of self-sufficiency. Is where what Ari Tori is hitting, hitting at is we've come to an era in the world where we no longer depend upon God for most of the things that happen in our world. You know, in the old days, rain and the seasons and farming and agriculture, there's so much more that we're outside of our control and our ability to control that people tended to look to God more in their daily life. But now with so much under our control, our own ability to do, even something simple as our health, right? Or even something as uh, planning for children, right? I mean, in the past, there was no such thing as sort of planning when we would start a family or when we wouldn't start a family. Now we can do that. We have medicine that, uh, medication that helps us overcome a lot of the illnesses that would have killed us many decades ago. We are so much more advanced today. And there's so much competency in our generation and in our era that we feel a desperate lack of need for God. Just like Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, only 60 years after Jesus' ascension, resurrection ascension, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. We are very capable people, and the need of God diminishes in direct proportion, in direct proportion to our own sense of adequacy. Did you guys hear that? 
Our need for God diminishes in direct proportion to our own sense of adequacy. The more competent you feel you are, the less room there will be for God in our lives. Yet in today's text, we find Jesus inviting us and encouraging us, exhorting us to come and feast at the table of God's goodness through prayer. Prayer, if we don't feel... uh, There's two... Let me kind of go back a little bit. I'm going to just give you guys two foundations for us to build our prayer on. But I want to just simplify. This is oversimplification. But there are two driving forces behind prayer for us as human beings in our human nature. One is need. Okay? One is need. And the other is desire. Need and desire. And they're very intricately intertwined. What we desire often blurs into becoming a need for us, right? And what we need oftentimes is what we desire and so forth. So need and desire are the two things that drive us for things in life. And it is the same with God. The less need we feel for God, the less desire we have for God, the less our lives will be inclined to pray. So I just want you to understand, once again, this, is, this is, isn't to bash us about our prayer life. It's to identify what it is blocking us from, get, from receiving from God what he wants to give us. Um, if we believe that we can provide for ourselves amply, we will not go to God for the needs. And uh, just a simple illustration I gave four years ago, and I'll give it again, is something like you know, our food distribution. That's a program that I'm part of at school, and it's one of the things that I enjoy about my job. It's one of the few things that I'm very excited about and I, I just generally like doing, and it's where we buy bulk food from L.A. Food Bank and Whole Foods and so forth, and we offer it to the community. And it's, there's some income restrictions and so forth, but generally we don't check it. So if, you're any, if you live in Pasadena, where I work, and you have a need for food, you can come and get it. Okay, it's not the best quality food. It's not like you're buying from Whole Foods. But it's good. We do our best to provide decent food for anyone to come and get it. And you know what? About 225 families every week comes and gets food from our food distribution. In 2009, when I first gave this message, in 2009, um, there was a huge spike. We went from like uh, having about 125, 150 families to about 250 families. And that was when the Great Recession, or the, um, yeah, the Great Recession just hit our economy, right? And many people were laid off. So we had people coming for the very first time, people who had never been to any kind of a food bank or a food distribution. We had people who had held, who had held professional jobs, who were in, in sort of what we would consider white-collar businesses, who drove nice cars and lived in nice homes, and never in their life imagined that they would be short or there would be need of food. And yet these people came by the dozens and dozens to get food from us. But here's the thing. It's available to anyone in the community. But you will never see anyone come to that food distribution line if they don't feel like they need food. If they can amply provide food for themselves and their families, they will never come, even if it's available. If they despise, even if you think the food quality is not not what you think it ought to be or what you're used to eating, if you have a need for food, for sustenance, you will go. 
But as long as we can provide amply for myself and my family, I will never seek, I will never take from something that is readily available for me to take at any time. That's just life, and that is us. That is a perfect image of us where God is offering us an abundant life. God is offering us a feast at his banquet table, and yet we go about our ways, not taking the time to take what God gives us or ask for what God wants to give us because we are amply satisfied in our life. God says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So I want to just talk about how do we build our prayer life? And, I, and, and I, I, hopefully we can do this over an extra, uh, expanded time or, or, or a little bit of an extended time down the road. I really seriously look at how to reinvigorate our prayer life. Because no matter what we do, it doesn't matter what, what we know or what we try to do. If we, aren't, if we aren't a praying people, if you and I aren't praying, we're going to wither and we're going to die out. So here's, here, here's the foundation. Jesus says, I invite you to come to God and pray and ask. And this is the foundation of prayer that I want to give to you. This is Jesus' words. This is Jesus' teaching. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus gives an, sort of an unconditional invitation for us to ask, seek, and knock. Right? There's no strings attached. He just says, ask, seek, and knock. In verses 9 through 11, he qualifies that by giving us the foundation of why he can give such a blank check invitation. He tells us why he is not afraid, right? I mean, is there anyone in here who was willing to give someone else in this congregation a free blank check to their checking account? Anyone? No one, right? But here Jesus gives a blank check. Why? There are a couple of reasons. Because there's a foundation beneath this invitation to pray. And what is that foundation? And this is a foundation. This is something that I just want you to listen. Something you know already, but I want us to hear it. And my prayer is that we would experience it more meaningfully and deeply in our lives in the days and weeks to come. And this is a foundation. God is our loving Heavenly Father and yearns, and he yearns to give good gifts to us, his children. This is the foundation of prayer. This is the foundation of Jesus' open invitation. Listen to me once again. What is the source of Jesus' audacity and confidence in giving such a carte blanche and in, in inviting us to ask, seek, and knock? Because he knows that God is a loving Heavenly Father who yearns to give good gifts to us, his children. Now, if that's the foundation, we can trace some of our own prayer life or some of our, uh, our lack of prayer life to a misperception about who God is. Because what Jesus is concerned about is who we are praying to. It is who we are praying to more than what we are praying for. Martin Lloyd-Jones, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a wonderful uh, preacher and scholar um, in the mid-20th century, on his uh, sermon on this very passage, and one of his sermons on this very passage in Matthew 7, has this wonderful quote that I could not agree with more, and it's something that I've, I've always believed and have sort of really tried to 
share and also try to incorporate into my life. This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones, in, in talking about this passage, um, at one point says, and, and I quote, If you should ask me, this is D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you should ask me to state in one phrase what I regard as the greatest defect in most Christian lives, I would say is that it is our failure to know God as our Father as we should know Him. The greatest defect in most Christian lives is our failure to know God as our Father as we should know Him. And by knowing, I believe, uh, Dr. Jones was not just talking about theoretically or in, in doctrine or, or just sort of in principle, but I think in knowing him and experiencing God as a loving father in our life. So once again, what is Jesus' foundation for inviting us to pray in Matthew 7, 7 and 8? It is because God is our loving heavenly father who yearns and longs to give us good gifts to us, his children. Um, I'm just going to give you two sort of uh, truths that Jesus builds this reality upon, okay? And I'm going to just kind of go over it really quick, not in too much depth, but I want you to just hear some of, some of the assumption, assumptions, the truth behind the foundation, okay? The first is that in order for God to give us good gifts as our Heavenly Father, in order for God to give us good gifts, He must know what is good for us. He must know what is good for us. Verse 9 says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What is Jesus saying? What is that illustration? What is the analogy there? Okay. If Max comes to you, Esther, and says, Can I have some bread? Okay. What will you give him? Why do you give him bread? Why not a snake or a rock? Here, Max, here's a big juicy rock. Eat up. Why do you give him bread? Okay, but why not give him a rock when he's hungry? Okay, well, what if he asked you for a rock? Would you give him a rock? I'm going to try to, I'm going to get the answer I want from her regardless. Why do you give him bread and not a rock? Yeah. In other words, bread is good for him. Rocks, not so good. Okay? Esther gives Max bread. Look, I'm not even Pastor Jin and I'm using their kids as illustration. <laughs> because why? Okay. What Jesus is saying is, look, you're, you're finite and you're kind of evil people. <laughs> But even as evil and finite people, you know how to differentiate between what is good and what is bad when your children ask for these basic necessities of life. Now, I got to tell you, though, as a parent, knowing what is good and bad gets a little harder when they get older. Mom and Dad, can I, can I get a smartphone? You know, you're only in seventh grade. Is that good or bad? I mean, it gets a little trickier. But when it comes to the basic necessities of bread... We know what is good. What, what Jesus is saying this is if you know what is good for your children, if you know that your child comes to you and asks for fish, that you're not going to give him a snake. Why? 
Because you know snakes are bad and fishes are good. Okay? And rocks are bad, bread is good. How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? In other words, if we are to build our foundation, if we are to build our prayer life upon the foundation is that God is a loving heavenly Father who gives good gifts, who yearns to give good gifts to His children, then God must be able to know or God must be able to discern that which is good for us and that which is evil or bad for us. The burden, on, the burden of this figuring out what is good for us and not good for us is not on us. It is on God. God says he knows what is good for us. If we ask God for a snake, he's not going to give us a snake because he says, see, that's what you asked for. But you know, people think like that. People say, you be careful what you ask for because God might give it to you. No, I don't think so because God is not going to give you. Your child asked for crack cocaine. You go, okay, well, you asked for it. Here it is. No one does that. Most of us don't do that. <laughs> Have you ever prayed for something and then in hindsight realized But had you gotten what you prayed for, it would have destroyed you. We don't know what is good for us all the time. When I was in fourth grade, when I was in fourth grade, it's a sad story, but when I was in fourth grade, my mom thought a full body perm would be good for me. (laughs) An Asian kid who just came from Korea who can barely speak English. Let's send it to school in, in, in the most Caucasian neighborhood at that time, Irvine, with a full hair blown perm on his head. That's a good idea. That's good for my son. That's my mom. Would she give me a snake on purpose? No, but in her mind, she thought it was a good thing. I cried. I was teased. and I was tormented. I want to confess something to you. If God had answered every one of my prayers as I prayed them, if God had answered every one of my prayers as I had prayed them, I would be either dead or I would be a godless, hell-bound person right now. A lot of you will be there with me. Because if God answered my prayers for all of you that I pray for at times, We don't know what's good for us all the time. Jesus says, come to God because he knows what's good. Now listen, I, this is not to say that there aren't many prayers that God has answered. I, I've had, I can give you dozens and dozens of, of prayers that I pray to God, and he answered almost in, a, in amazing ways. When Esther and I were, were pregnant with Elizabeth, and we were like, poor and jobless and, and, and had no ways to really get the, the medical care that we needed. And, and the way that God answered that prayer was amazing. And the way he provided for my tuition at school at the time in the same, like he killed two birds with some, the proverbial, I mean, the way he answered that prayer was amazing. So God, yes, God does answer many of the prayers that we pray for. And God has answered many of the prayers that I pray for. 
For people in this very congregation, God has answered prayers. But listen, if God answered every one of my prayers the way I would have prayed for, I would either be dead or I'll be a hell-bound, ugly, nasty, soulless person right now. So there are a lot of prayers that God didn't answer because God's desire is to give me good things. We are imperfect in knowing what will benefit us or will harm us. Apostle Paul One of the great apostles had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. Something painful. Something that bothered him greatly. And I'm sure Paul was godly. There was no one who loved the kingdom of God and and sharing the gospel more than Paul. I mean, this man would give his life for the gospel, was beaten for the gospel. Yet this thorn in the flesh bothered him. So he went to Jesus and said, Jesus... Can you take this thorn for me? I believe that if you remove this thorn for me, I will be a much pleasant person. I'd probably be a lot nicer at times. I wouldn't be so cranky. It will be good for me, Jesus. Please remove this thorn of flesh. And Jesus says, no. And so Paul says, okay. It wastes a little while. The thorn starts bothering him again. So he earnestly goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, please. Please take this thorn of flesh away from me. Thorn in the flesh. Messenger saying, please remove this from me. Jesus says, no. And so he he, he lives life with this thorn in the flesh, bothering him, agitating him, making his life miserable. And, And so Paul comes to Jesus again and says, please, Jesus, come on. Take this away from me. Jesus says, no. And you know why? Because this, having that thorn in the flesh is actually good for you, Paul. Well, how can having a thorn in my flesh be good for me? Because it's going to keep you humble. And it's going to keep you dependent on me. And at the end of that dependence, you're going to get me. See, it's not choosing the perfect path. It's, it's knowing that wherever we go, whatever decisions we make, that God is with us. That's the good I am, I am uh, going a lot longer than I planned. And this is, this is uh, we were talking about this earlier. Last, I was chuckling at Esther. Uh, I want to end with one last thought. Turn with me to Luke, if you have your Bible. Because I do want to end with this. <clears throat> I believe one of the number one reasons why we don't pray is because when we read passages like Ask, Seek, and Knock, we say, well, God, I've asked for good things, and it hasn't happened. The biggest sort of perplexing um, dilemma about these kinds of open invitations we find in the Bible is that how many of you guys have prayed for something and God did not answer you? Uh, how many of you pray for something and, and, and you say, well, how many of you pray for something that you know was good because the Bible said it was good and you prayed for it? Like someone was in distress and you prayed for their comfort, Right? Have you had anyone in distress? This week I've asked several people in distress that I've met with and counseled with. And there's a part of me when I care for people, when, when someone's in distress, if, if Kayla was in distress and, and something was ripping her hearts to shred and she was in tears and she's coming and saying, this pain is unbearable in my heart and I pray, God, please relieve her of that pain. Comfort her. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Comfort her. And yet, her pain doesn't go away. She's still 
is grieving and is, and is in pain. And we, we've asked in prayer, and we have not had our prayers answered. And so we say, well, what does it matter if we pray or not? seems like God doesn't answer at times. It's a crapshoot. We don't know if he's going to answer or not, right? How many of you guys have had that experience, right? Pray for someone who's sick. Pray for someone who's jobless and going through a horrible time. You say, God, please help this person find a job. That's a good thing. And we prayed in faith, and yet God withholds. I want you to look with me in Luke 11, 19, and 13. I'm going to just leave a thought with you on why that is the case. Okay? Luke 11, 9-13 is Luke's version of the same passage we've met in Matthew. It's almost the same teaching, except there's one difference at the very last verse. Luke is going to define for us what the good thing is. Luke 9, 11, Luke 11, 9-13. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be open. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give? And you ought to find, the phrase that we ought to find that makes sense is give good gifts to those who ask him. But instead he says what? What does he say? Say it out loud. Say it a little bit louder than that. What is God saying? God is simply saying this. The ultimate good in anyone's life is me, God. See, when I see Kayla in pain, and she's not in pain, just to clarify, it's a hypothetical illustration. You're not in pain, are you, Kayla? Okay. (laughs) Kayla is in grief, and she's in pain. Her heart's being shredded. For me, the good thing is what? for her to be relieved of that pain. You know what God sees as a good thing for Kayla? What, what does God see as a good thing, according to Luke? So is God. God wants Kayla to get more of God. If that means she's comforted, if, if being comforted gets her closer to God, God will comfort her. If going through this pain process, as painful as it is, like trials and tribulations, if this gets her closer to God, God will let her go through that, just like God let Paul have the thorn in the flesh to get her closer to God. For us, our good is defined by temporary passing things. God's good is always one thing and one thing only, and that is himself. Listen, if you pray, regardless of whether you see a tangible answer or not, God promises you'll get something when you pray. What? himself. You want more of God in your life? Pray. And God will, just by act of praying, you will get what God wants to give you, and that is the Holy Spirit. There's much more I want to say. I think there's about half of what I covered. But I just want to encourage you guys to pray. God wants to give you good gifts. He knows what is good for you. He is willing and able to do so. Let's pray. Let's just take a minute in prayer um, as we wait for the little ones to come out to join us for our communion. Part of the reason that we sometimes struggle with this is that our definition of what is good and what God offers us as good is different.
You know, when we read the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those, blessed are you when others persecute you and revile you and say all kinds of evil falsely against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Jesus says, blessed are you when you mourn for those who mourn will be comforted. Blessed are you when you are poor in spirit for yours is the kingdom of heaven. But it doesn't feel good to us and we define what is good differently than God. And we fight with God. It's like a child who wants to ask his parents for something. And he knows his parents is not going to give it to him. So he doesn't even go to his parents and ask. Because in his mind, he has already determined what he wants. That's us. But would you now just humbly come before God and say, God, you know what is good for me. Help me to surrender to that. Give me more of you. Just Just say that prayer in your hearts right now. Will you wake up tomorrow morning or try to remember? Just say a simple prayer. Say, God, you're good. What you want to give me is good things, namely yourself and the Holy Spirit. So God, I ask that you would give me whatever it is in my life that will draw me closer to you. Just pray that. Just pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, as we now uh, take time to pause and reflect on the greatest gift that you've given us, your son Jesus Christ, on the cross, I pray that you will be with us that you will fill our hearts with grace. Lord, when we wake up tomorrow morning, when we go to bed tonight, would you remind us that you yearn to give us good things, namely yourself and the gift of the Holy Spirit? Will you remind us so that we are moved to just simply come to you in prayer, not as a duty, but because we want to receive from you what you want to give us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.